Well, uh, we're going to um, get into our, uh, we're gonna, our final message on hurt today. And uh, we want to listen to a story. Uh, we're going to listen to a little song and, and a little bit of the story of this song written by John Mark McMillan. We, we love this song around here um, uh, called How He Loves. And perhaps you don't know the story behind the song. Is John Mark McMillan's friend Stephen was killed in a car wreck. And the day before he was killed, he committed his life to God and said, God, I want the rest of my life to glorify you. And the next day, he was killed in a car accident. And John McMillan goes to God to have a conversation with God about how hurt he was. And as we want to talk about in the sermon today, we come to God with our hurt, and we want to talk to God about our hurt. But what we find out is that God wants to talk to us. That God wants to talk to us and what's sometimes a little bit uh, off-putting is that God doesn't want to talk so much about our hurt. He doesn't want to talk so much about what happened. But he has something else on his mind that he wants to talk about. And so that's what this song illustrates. We're going to go to James chapter 1 in a minute. And we're going to see that God has another subject on his mind. Besides, not that he ignores our hurt and doesn't want to hear our cry. There's a lot of scriptures about that. But he also has something else, and sometimes it's the hurt and the pain that gets our attention, that gets us on our knees, that gets us into a quiet place, that makes us take a walk in the woods, or makes us go sit by the ocean like I've done many times and think about my life and think about God. And invariably, God will want to talk to me about something that I wasn't thinking about talking about. And so, of all things, God begins to talk to John McMillan about how much I love you. And how much I love humanity in that brokenness. So that's what today's message is about. It's about, it's called the triumph. It's about letting God pick the subject. And let him direct you. And out of your pain. Because sometimes we get in a, you know, let me just say this. and We get in a loop. We do this, we know they do this in relationships. And you, you, you have a fight with your spouse or, or, or somebody. And you start talking about something you do this, you're that, yeah, and you start looping, and you're, you start pulling up stories from the past, and after a while, literally, I can remember back in the early days when Sherry and I were adjusting and all, really, after a couple of hours, I, I couldn't remember what started it. What started us even fighting? What? Because we started looping about something else, and that's what we do with God. We come and we, we're looping, on why did this happen? Why did this happen? What were and, and God, says, God just interrupts us sometimes. He says, here, let me tell you something that's truth. Let me tell you what I want to do in your life. So we're going to watch uh, this song and let it just bless you and let it bring you to the spirit of the message today. Love can be such a non-word sometimes. It loses its meaning, its potency, you know, like, I really love a cheeseburger. And then I really love, you know, like, a sunny day, and then I really love my family, like, they're, none of those loves are remotely the same. They're totally different things, you know. 
it's really difficult to write a song about love or even use the word love in a song, you know, because of what does it mean, what does it really mean, you know. I'm just really excited to play, like, I love, you know, good crowds when they sing, and like, I, I like it when they feel like they're part of what's going on, you know, because to me it's not about playing perfect music as much as it's about, like, uh, almost kind of like a relationship with each other. About seven years ago, when I was down in Jacksonville, Florida, I flew down there to work in the studio, and while I was down there, we got a call that several of our friends had been in a, a really bad car accident, and, um, Later on that night, I found out that uh, one of my best friends, uh, Steve, had died as a result of injuries from that accident. I woke up the next morning and I was uh, just really angry and confused and, and hurt, you know. And I process things through music, you know, that's just how I do um, deal with my issues. And so um, I really needed, I felt that I really needed some sort of, um, I needed to have some sort of conversation with God because I was really, really frustrated. I felt like there were some things I needed to say. And so that's what I would do through the music. And that's really a lot of where the song, How He Loves, came out of was I needed these words. I needed this conversation. I'm really looking forward to playing music tonight. I'm really excited to um, be with all the people who are gonna be there. He is jealous of me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind. The love I'm singing about in that song is really, is not a pretty, clean, it's not a Hollywood, hot pink love. It's, um, it's a kind of love that's willing to love things that are messy and willing to love even the difficult and sort of, um, you know, kind of gross kind of things, you know. Oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. That's really the kind of song I wanted to write is through this frustrating period and he could, you know, in my anger, in my resentment, and in my frustration, he could still love me through that, you know, and, and in this process of dealing with the, uh, my buddy died, and um, he could love me through that, and he was okay. He wasn't, you know, offended at the fact that I was angry at God. Just looking at these old uh, lyrics, you know, you think after seven, seven, seven years, it's still really tough. This song isn't a celebration of weakness and anger. It's a celebration of a God who would want to hang with us through those things, who would want to be a part of our lives through those things. And despite who we are, He would want to be a part of us and be a part of our community and be a part of our family. 
and that's that's the kind of love I, I think I'm talking about. The lyrics that uh, you won't hear in the song, they're not real super poetic lyrics. Or, well, I thought about you the day Stephen died, and you met me between my breaking. I know that I still love you despite the agony. Now listen to this. They want me to tell you, they want, me to, they want to tell me you're cruel. But if Stephen can sing, he'd say it's not true. Because he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Circle 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Don't run over that too quickly. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, James is writing to hurting people. He's writing to people who's been in the middle of a journey of pain, and if you want to quickly capture a summary of what they've been through, you have to go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there. You know Saul, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, this is before we knew him as Paul. This is before he was converted to Christ. And this is probably one of the reasons he was converted to Christ. Because he, he, he had just participated in the stoning of a deacon named Stephen. A Christian named Stephen. And Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. Just coincidentally, that's John Mark McMillan's friend's name. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. At Jerusalem, the church was huge. Uh, the church in Jerusalem, uh, by all uh, estimates, is it was at least 200,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. 3,000 became Christians in one day at what we call the day of Pentecost. So this huge church, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered now, now don't th I know you think of a crowd scattering. That's just kind of, oh, we just scattered, went different directions. No, this is painful. This is people losing their homes, their jobs, their families. This is, think of the, think of the immigrants around the world today that are being displaced. And they're dying on boats in the middle of the ocean, Mediterranean Sea. And they're crowding into refugee camps. And they're living in cages and Horrible, horrible. They're being taken into, made into slaves, all kinds of things, horrible. This is what was happening in that same part of the world. They were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Eventually, they would migrate to uh, southern Turkey. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned, but Saul began to destroy the church. Destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. 
These are the people who've lost everything. These are the people who have the scars of beatings by these Jewish religious authorities. These are the people who've watched family members and friends be tortured, attacked, and they've died. And they've watched their family members die. These are people who've had their homes, their property confiscated, their careers destroyed. These are people who've literally walked for days and probably weeks looking for a safe haven. Life as they knew it was no more. To these people... James doesn't sugarcoat anything. He doesn't try to deny anything that happened to them. He doesn't try to explain it away. But he gives them no excuse to stop short of being joyful people. That's what we want to talk about today. Interesting that James doesn't speak of healing, but he speaks of growing. Isn't that interesting? These people who had suffered so much, and they were dispersed throughout Asia, James does not give them a lesson on inner healing. He is not talking about the healing of their memories. He talks about becoming mature. Perseverance, he said, must finish its work so that you may be mature. Modernity brought us pain meds, and anesthesia. So healing to most of us means no pain. I'm sure John Mark McMillan was in a lot of pain when he went and had the conversation with God. But we've, we live in a culture today that's determined to feel zero pain. Our total focus today is no pain. You know, they... You know, they say no pain, no gain. Well, most people's philosophy is no pain, no pain. And I, I sat with the head of the board of selectmen in Milford a few weeks ago, and we talked about this, and he said it. He said, we're living in a culture that wants to feel zero pain, and that's why we have an opioid crisis, because we are determined to believe that we can live lives of no pain. And we're all naturally resisted, resistant to any focus that's not therapeutic. You know, somebody else's pain, yes, we can say, well, they need to grow. They need to become more mature. But when it's my pain, never do I feel that way. When it's my pain... I want God and I want you and I want everybody around me to be therapeutic. And that's okay. That's okay. But God has my development, see, also in mind. You know, when it's somebody else, it's different. But God has my development in mind. Uh, I, when it's me, I want to say, okay, God, my development is not the issue here. My growing this thing has happened to me. This person has hurt my feelings. This disappointment has happened to me. I've gotten this thing. This doctor has told me something. These tests have come back. Or this person is uh, uh, talking bad about me. And God, I want to talk to you about them. <laughs> uh, that person sitting across the room from me, God, that has become that huge source of irritation... Uh, or, or who has no interest today in being my source of joy, let's talk to you. I'd like to talk to you about their development and their growth. I'd like to talk to you about how you need to work on them 
And how you need to advance their, how their point of view needs to change. That, that person in the past who shut a door of opportunity for me, now there's somebody, God, who needs some stress to change them. There's somebody who needs some maturity in their life. God, you know those people that I served tirelessly, I shared my heart with, I loved unconditionally, and they just moved on to some other place, and if they'd have just kept their membership here, and they'd have kept their, their resources and given them here, we could be that really mega church that I dreamed of, and we could do, have all the things we want, God. Right now, God, they could really use, some, they could, they could really use hearing your voice. God, could you work on them? God, there's a, there's, God, I have got some excellent personal development projects for you. God, can you imagine those scattered people, those immigrants who, were, who had migrated across Asia? God, you really need to work on the, you really need to do something about those Pharisees that are ruling, and those people like Paul, like Saul, who are going around beating up Christians. You really need to do something about them. You really, they really need to change. But look at what the word says per perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me tell you something those who hurt you, don't want to get better. And God doesn't need to get any better. That leaves you. That leaves you to make a decision today as I'm going to let that setback be a setup for my improvement and my growth. And me and God are going to make the devil sorry he ever messed with me. Me and God are going to make the adversary, the enemy of my life, regret that he ever sent that thing into my life that was intended to hurt me and destroy me. Interesting that people don't usually look for counsel about understanding how stress will make them grow. People don't come to see me to find out how God is using pain to develop them. They want to know one thing from me. Pastor, how can I make it stop? How, Pastor, can you talk to my husband? Can, can you talk to him? I have the, those meetings like once a month. Can you talk to my husband? Can you get him to stop doing that thing that's really irritating me? That's really hurting me? Can you get him to change? I'm afraid he's going to wreck our family. I've yet to have, and this is not critical of anybody, I've yet to have anyone come to my office saying, Pastor, would you tell me how God wants to use this to make me a better person? Uh, you're good people, but none of you have ever come. None of you have ever come and said, Pastor, please show me how God wants to use this thing that's happened in my life to make me the person, the incredible person that he intended me to be. No, you want to know, and I want to know, how to stop the pain. How to stop that person from hurting me. How to stop that situation. Here's the real deal, and this is how God works. And I've been saying this over and over in the series. But I, sometimes we just need to repeat ourselves. God gave humans dominion over the earth. Humans foolishly elected Satan to be the chairman of the board. John chapter 14, verse 30. It's right in the Bible. 
I will not speak with you much longer, Jesus said, for the prince of this world is coming. Notice what Jesus called Satan. Notice what Jesus called the devil. He didn't call him just a pest or an annoyance or, an, or a tempter. He called him, he, he attributed to him the title, the prince of this world. Now, who gave, who gave him that title? God didn't. Jesus didn't make him the prince of the world. Who gave him that title? Adam and Eve. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. Adam and Eve said, you know, you know serpent who was speaking... I'm not saying the serpent was the devil, but the serpent was an instrument of the devil. The serpent, they, Adam and Eve go to the serpent. We like your ideas. You're really smart. The Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. You are really got it going on. You've been to Harvard. You've got multiple degrees. You really understand our frustration. You understand how oppressed we are. Underneath this God who created this beautiful garden for us and gave us every pleasure imaginable in this climate-controlled environment. And you understand this mean, oppressive God who has one tree over there he won't let us eat out of. And I'm sure you have a solution. And they said, we like your style. Would you be welcome to the board of directors? He came in, and of course, of course, he took more authority than they've ever planned on him taking because he's a liar and a cheat and an abuser, and he took more authority than they ever planned. But a just God had to honor his, his decision. A just God had to honor his decision to give Adam and Eve authority. So here we have it. Jesus acknowledged that Satan has global and societal authority, but without nullifying the authority he gave his humans to make a really bad decision, he repeatedly reminds us that the way he displays his authority in the world, listen to this, this is so important. I don't want you to be discouraged about what I just told you. If you never knew that Satan was running the world, I don't want you to be discouraged because the way God displays his authority in the world is to use Satan's personal attack to develop a position that causes us to fulfill our eternal purpose, to, to, to develop in us power and authority with which with a partnership with God, building the kingdom of God, we will ultimately dethrone the devil from the, being the prince of this world. That's what being a church is all about, my friends. Psalms 76.10 says, Human defiance only enhances your glory, for you use it as a weapon. God doesn't stop human defiance. He uses it. God doesn't stop suffering and pain. He uses it. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. You know who said that? Joni Erickson Tata, who was a young lady. Some of you know her story. As a young lady, Joni dived off of a cliff and broke her neck and spent her life paralyzed from the neck down. And this beautiful young woman gives us that revelation that sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And if you ever go on the internet, listen to her speak, you will sense a beauty and an anointing that she has been, she has transformed the pain of her past into the purpose of her future. She has transformed the purpose of her past into the purpose of her future. And that's what I am preaching to you to do today. Because you ain't going to change the past. 
but you have complete authority over your future. I said, you have complete authority of your faith. T- today's message is about changing the conversation. The Apostle James moves the conversation from why is God letting stuff happen to me to what is God trying to accomplish in me? Some of us, no, I'm not criticizing you, I'm not, but some of you have never had that conversation with God. What are you trying to accomplish in me? You're stuck on that loop. Why would you let that happen? Why would you let them do that? What are they thinking? How could you love me? Blah, blah, blah. You're just stuck on that loop. And God wants you to change your conversation today. And if you will change your conversation and begin to ask, what could God do with me because of what happened? It will transform your life. I'm telling you, it will transform your life. If you will begin to ask the question that was asked of me when I was first diagnosed two years ago, what I wonder what God is going to do with this. It's a great question. Andy Stanley said, The more conscious I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what he has yet to do in others. Stanley's pretty good, huh? The more conscious I am of what God has to do in me, the less critical I am of what he has yet to do in others. I want to get some of you to be a little more introspective. And figure out, because whether you're naturally an introspective person or you're, a, you're an extrinsic person, if you're extrinsic, you don't, you don't as easily have conversations about yourself. But both of us struggle, whether you're extrinsic or intrinsic, we both struggle with asking God the right question in this regard, in this area of our life. We both struggle with this. We both struggle if you're, if you're intrinsic, you kind of tend to get into self-pity and self-soothing and all of that going on. If you're extrinsic, you tend to be more uh, louder and blaming other people and beating other people up. Neither approach ever stops to ask God, what would you like to do? What are you trying to change and grow in me right now? And I want to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm getting there, senior citizen. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm say, am I a senior citizen, 62? Am I there? Am I, am I, that's weird. That's really weird. <laughs> I still got growing to do, though. I, I must be going to live a long time because I've just got a lot of growing to do. <laughs> See, although I still believe in the concept of inner healing, it's interesting that James doesn't speak of healing. Instead of healing, he speaks of growing. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature. James defines this thing that God wants to do in us as maturity. Maturity involves function and feelings and connection. It involves all three of those things. It's practical, it's emotional, it's relational. In a nutshell, maturity is three things. Gaining more skills, more joy, and more love. More skills, more joy, and more love. You, get, you can do more things, you can do it with more joy and more loving to the people around you. Spiritual maturity is when more and more areas of your lives are turned over to the control of Jesus. That's the simple definition of maturity. When more and more areas of our lives are turned over to the control of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here that really are the same question. They're just framing it in a different way. Number one, are you consciously aware of what God is yet to do in you? Are you consciously aware of some of the things that God is yet to do in you? If you're obsessed with what others are doing, then you're probably not. If you're constantly thinking and talking about what other people are doing wrong, you're probably not. 
You know the tragedy of gossip and slander is not just that we are talking bad about other people, but that we are keeping healthy scrutiny off of ourselves. We Psychologists call it transference and projection. When we literally criticize others for what God wants to change in us. You know, you probably know people who constantly treat other people disrespectfully, but whose major complaint in life is people don't respect me. Are you consciously aware of what God is yet to do in you? Turn and ask your neighbor that. Are you aware of what God is yet to do in you? James, in essence, says, let's not talk about those Pharisees and those colluding Romans. They are just God's instrument. I don't even see them. All I see them now is God's instrument that I intended to use in what I was intending to do in your life all along. Second question. It's kind of the same question. What areas of your life are not yet fully turned over to Jesus? Full spiritual maturity is when my life is turned over to him. My money, my sexuality, my expectations, my schedule, my ministry, my mortality, everything that I willingly turn over to Jesus. Now, some of you here today who would like for the world to be all nice and kind and sweet, and you'd like for it to be totally under God's control, do you really know what you're asking? Do you really know what you're asking when you say, I want God to make everybody do what's good? Do you really know what you're asking? Because if you, if you were to get your wish and God were to become the supreme authority who makes everybody do what is right, you wouldn't have a choice but to come to church next Sunday. You wouldn't have a choice. God says we're supposed to give God 10% of our income. You wouldn't have a choice. It'd come right out of your bank account. Do, do, you, do you want to be forced to pay tithe? Do you want, you want to be forced to? You wouldn't have a choice but to go home today and for some of you, really show affection to a spouse that you're really irritated with. You wouldn't have any choice. God would make you do it. If he didn't, you didn't do it, he would slap you around. You wouldn't have any choice but to humbly forgive and bless and bless somebody who really you're just freak, you're just mad at and you just want to get back at. You, you would have no choice but to go love them and bless them. You would have no choice. You would have to do it. Are you sure you want your choice taken away? Are you sure you want the world to be all good, sweet, and kind? Or would you rather have a plan? where God works with you and your will and teaches you and instructs you and persuades you that he is right. Would you rather have that world? Yeah, that's the world I want. I would rather have the world where God works with me and is patient with me, not the world where God makes me do what is right. God is a God of freedom. God is a God of liberty. God is a God of autonomy. God put man in the Garden of Eden. He made us autonomous. He made us free. 
And so today, that freedom, if you understand it and you can understand that the problems that come to your life, I'm not saying God sent them. I'm not saying that at all. But the things that happen in your life, God wants to partner with you to say to you, I want to use what God, what Satan meant for evil, I want to use it to help you to become the greatest and most incredible person you ever be out of your own free will. So you will do many of those things that I mentioned. You will come to church and you will support and you will get involved in ministry and you will love people, but it won't come from coercion. It will come from motivation. It will come from your heart. And that way you will do it with joy. With joy you will serve the Lord. That's what's the point of James chapter 1. The good news of the gospel is there's something you can control. God, Brick Warren said, God lets you pick how long your tough journey to spiritual maturity will take. The length will depend on two things, how quickly you obey him and how deeply you trust him when it doesn't make sense. I love the Psalms. The Psalm says, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed. I know the term fixed there means stable, but I also like to think of it as repaired. My heart is repaired, oh God. My heart is fixed. I, notice what happens when your heart gets fixed. I will sing and give praise. You become a person of joy. You, as Jason pointed out, you will increase your range of emotion. You will increase your range of emotion when you give into the spiritual therapy of God. So let's do this. Move your primary focus from what you're irritated about and hurt about and frustrated about to what God is excited about. Amen? God is ecstatic about having a personal and growing relationship with you. God is excited about using you and your story to help other people. Your story, you need to help somebody else with your story. Secondly, figure out the behaviors and skills God is trying to make you better at and cooperate fully. It's not hard to understand what God is working and whatever he's testing in you. It's not hard to figure out what God is trying to do because whatever God is testing, that's what he's planning on improving. I said whatever God is testing is what he's planning on improving. If something is testing your patience, God is planning on you becoming more patient. If something is testing your love, God is planning on you becoming more loving. If something is testing your endurance, God is planning you becoming, to become a person who's more enduring. If God is testing you in any area, it's because that's where God is developing you. So probably the thing that you're, you're, you're mad about is the thing that you should be glad about. The thing that you're distressed about is the thing you ought to be excited about because that's the thing that God is developing. If, if, if God is testing you in the area of money, he's trying to develop you in the area of money. If, if God is testing you in your job, he's trying to make you better at your job. Reverend Ike, who I don't recommend to anyone, but he used to say, you can't lose with the stuff we use. <laughs> Finally, your most critical assignment is to remain calm as possible in the unchangeable circumstances of life that you're faced with. Now, you know, someone uh, sent me a Facebook message this week, and uh, I know somebody's going to get upset with me for saying this, and, and they're going to say, you shouldn't tell that illustration, Pastor, because that person's going to find out, and they're going to be upset. 
Well, I don't know how to say this. I just, I just don't care. But, but this is someone that, that I love, but they've, they've, over many years, have left this church so many times that I, I can't, I don't know how many times they've left. And so when they found out that I had this cancer thing going on, they, they uh, uh, wrote me a message, said, uh, uh, if I've offended you, kind of a message, you know, long message, and it, it was, it was nice. Uh, and I wrote them back, so, you know, I'm not offended, uh, and I, I said some things that I won't say. Just, just say, you know, I just think we have a different vision. That's kind of what I said. We have a different vision. You have a vision of one thing, and I have a vision of another. So th- this obviously is not the place for you because you don't really like our vision, what we're trying to do here, okay? And is that anybody else out there that just don't like what we're trying to do here? Uh, well, let's get together. Let's, uh, let's find out how we can have like vision. So anyway, um, I, I said, here's what I said to him. And, I, and I, if, he, if, if he hears this, uh, I hope he can hear this in love, because this is what I said to him in my message. And I only repeat it today, not to get even with that person, I, I, not at all, but because I think it's what a lot of us need to hear. I said, give, uh, and I named the pastor where they've gone, give them in that church, I said, their vision, all your focus. Do whatever they need you to do to build that church. Remember, the only institution that Jesus died for, the only one he came to build, and the only one that he's going to still be standing when all others go up in flames will be the church of Jesus Christ. I said, here's what I said in in all caps, and I rarely speak in all caps because I think that's your brood. But in all caps, I said, stop getting bored so quickly. Give the rest of your life somewhere. In all caps. And this is... Not all caps. Tis one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's really what it is, guys. It's deciding, I'm going to put my hand to the plow, and I'm going to do something with my life that's going to make a difference. Now, you say, but I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to do that, Pastor. I'm still hurting, and I'm still sad. I understand that. I understand that. In, the, in biblical times, they had, they had rituals for mourning. They had accepted public rituals for mourning, and if someone died, you would get in sackcloth and ashes, or if you lost a battle, you would get in sackcloth and ashes for like 40 days, and everybody would cry with you, and they would mourn with you, and that's a good thing. Some of you have not cried, and you've not mourned over your hurt and your loss, and you need to do that. That's really important. I want you to know that this church will mourn with you. I want you to know that if you crowd in pain, we're not going to say grow up. If you say, I'm hurting today because I was abused, we're not going to say grow up. We're going to cry with you because that's what God wants us to do. The Bible says weep with those who weep. But some of you here today, and you've gotten all the therapeutic value out of crying that it can give you. Moses said to Israel one time, you've come past this mountain long enough, go you northward. Some of you need to move into a season of progress and let the very thing the adversary intended to destroy you to become the very thing that propels you into the purpose for which you were created. Just imagine today a whole congregation who are embracing practical, emotional, and relational maturity. It's almost too much to take in. Here's the really amazing news 
of James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We don't have to look like what we've been through. Let's stand. We don't have to look like what we've been through. Now, some of you are here today, and you heard the message today, and even before I preached the message, you'd already heard from God. And God's already been telling you, I'm ready for you to move on. I'm ready for you to move in to what I have prepared for you. And I'm willing, I'm ready to let you know how I'm ready for you to grow and you to become the person that you need to be. And you're going to like it. You're going to enjoy becoming the person that has authority over yourself, authority over the things in your life. And right now, I'm going to ask you if that's you, if that's you, that you're ready to move forward. You're ready to move forward with your life. I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat where you're standing and just like we did a couple of weeks ago, come down and stand across the front and let's pray together. Let's close this service with a season of prayer asking God to show us the way and to empower us. Would you come?